everybody. I'm really excited about this week's podcast. I have a very special guest, Pippa Gordon from the UK. She is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other over 20 years. We met in Amsterdam in the early 90s, both of us on an adventure working with a relief and development organization. We lost contact for a few years and have reconnected in the last probably three to five years and just over the last couple of years have started really talking and communicating more and more, which I am really thankful for that over the course of our lives we can, you know, people can come in and out and sometimes we find each other again and develop something really beautiful. I was on her podcast last week, Inside My Wardrobe, that really has nothing to do with wardrobes, but you'll find more out about that in this episode. So you should check that out. And she's on my podcast this week. We talk about her work in the QVC, building community, what community looks like, a little bit on social media, and why community can also be your family. So please enjoy. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal, and my special guest, Pippa Gordon. We just did an exchange. I was on her podcast last week, Inside My Wardrobe. Did I get it right? You did. Okay. And now she's going to be on mine, and here she is. Pippa is a radio and TV host in Britain, podcaster, mother, stepmother, wife, and friend, and someone who is passionate about wholeness. Her wholeness, that wholeness came out weird, her wholeness and providing a space where people can be free to be vulnerable and work toward wholeness without shame or stigma. Welcome, Pippa. Thank you very much. It's really good to be here. And I have to just say, even if you weren't on my podcast last week, I would still have gladly have been on yours. <laughs> Thank you. But it is fun to trade. Of course. Yes. It, it also brilliant. felt like easy to kind of go to get it on the calendar, mm. which as a, a podcaster, you know, it is not always easy to get guests. Nope. It's not. In fact, for the first year of podcasting, I never, I didn't have any guests. It was, I did all of it myself. And that side of bringing guests in is is quite new to me. Actually, I've only started doing that this year. But yeah, it's not easy at all. So So well done you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, and also people trusting you and people having the time and like a lot of people I don't have emails for. So it's like trying to catch them on Instagram or catch them on Facebook Messenger, and then they never check those either. So I don't think it's always people not wanting to do it. I think it's people not catching the message. Yeah, and I think, especially on social media, the more followers someone has, it's easy for messages to slip through the net. Yeah, so I'm always grateful. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I would like you to... One, talk a little bit about who you are, anything that I missed, anything that you'd like to say, and also talk about your podcast, because we've talked about this, and the title, Throwing People. So if we talk <laughs> about that up, for, up front, then people will know 
what yeah. it's about. <laughs> and actually, it's a really good place to start because it's it encapsulates my story quite well, actually. So it's called Inside My Wardrobe. And it was originally... It was called Inside My Wardrobe because that is where I actually record it. I, I sit right at the end of my wardrobe. It's got it's got lovely kind of dead acoustics, for want of a better way of putting it. So it's really good for sound um, intimacy. And having come from a radio background, which is where I started my career, I've always found... And I, I didn't do kind of like pop commercial radio. I did BBC radio. So it, it is a lot. You only play like four songs an hour. So it's a lot more talk. It's a lot more interaction and interviewing. And I always really enjoyed that intimacy that you would get with the listener. Mm. So when I came into the world of being a podcaster and, and having, you know, I, I moved into commercial television in the in the late 90s. So I've really missed that intimacy. So then when I created my own podcast, I wanted to recreate that sense of uh, of just closeness and sharing deep things together. So I recorded inside my wardrobe, but not only was it because it was a, a good sound place, but also I have two teenage children. My husband works from home. I have two younger stepsons. And at the time, my disabled mother was also living with us. So, you know, we were caring for her. There were people everywhere. And you have a <laughs> we, dog. A noisy dog too. So it was also finding the most extreme part of the house that I could lock myself away in to have a little bit of peace and quiet. But the bigger thing about all of that, which kind of came off the back of the practicalities, was the essence of the podcast is about marrying the person we are on the inside together with the person that we are on the outside. Because for me, that is that is the quest of life, finding who we are and being able to show that person wholeheartedly to the world so that we can properly step into our shoes, walk the path that is ahead of us and and be present in all of the different roller coaster rides that we go on, all of the ups and the downs, the the great moments, the terribly sad moments. And if we're busy trying to be someone else, we just we get robbed of all of those things, the good and the bad, and I truly believe those are those are where we find fulfillment because that's where we are connecting to our true selves. So I'm I'm very passionate about just talking about my own journey, talking through what I've learned over the years and then and kind of negotiating other people's scenarios. Just this year, I've asked other people. We have a Facebook group page called Inside My Wardrobe, which is a really lovely community. It's growing. It's nearly 600 people at the moment, which is just fabulous. And people talk and they connect. And at the beginning of the year, I'm like, okay, guys, what do you, what do you want to hear on the podcast? You know, and, and actually just over the last couple of weeks, they've been going, can we all do a get together? So we're talking about oh. an, arranging an event as and when the time comes, you know. So yeah, for me, you're, uh, in, as you said in the intro, it's very much about wholeness. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny because what I'll tell the listeners is when Pippa and I were talking for the first time, I was saying, well, I've listened to the parenting podcast because it's, you know, it's on mental health and emotional intelligence. And I, it's really good. And people should check it out, whether you continue to do it in its original iteration or some other iteration, but it's the speakers that you have on it or your guests are Thank amazing. you. Yeah, um, but I and said, it's called I have, the parenting podcast. Yeah. Just to be clear, it's just and I will put all that. Title. Yeah, I'll put all that in the notes too for people. Um, 
but the um, inside my wardrobe, I was like, well, you know, I'm not really into fashion per se or makeup or, <laughs> and then you said, oh, that's not what it's about at all. <laughs> I've been I've been this morning literally just this morning trying to redesign the logo because it is it's a it's a cartoon at the moment I'm changing it all but there's a cartoon of of someone coming out of the wardrobe and I've put a speech bubble on it that goes Psst, it's not about fashion because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just playing with different ways that I can make it yeah. obvious because I've had a lot of people particularly during lockdown I think a lot of people have become even more connected with podcasts mm. and a lot of people say to me oh my gosh I knew you did a podcast but I I thought it was about fashion. Yeah. And obviously, you know, fa fashion is something that I that I do enjoy. So I mm -hmm. can understand if someone actually doesn't take that step in, they wouldn't necessarily know that that's what it's about. Yeah. Like I love fashion and trends and thrifting. I but couldn't I wouldn't talk about it every week. A, I wouldn't <laughs> no. listen to a podcast about it. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> My time is valuable and I have too many podcasts in the queue that are teaching yeah. me something that I... Yeah. Maybe that's just me, though. I, I, I want to be learning something all the time. Yeah, me too. So one question that I have is I see why people would make that connection because you are on the QVC in England. Yep. But I would also like to know what part or – your story is a story of all of our stories are a story of transformation, but you were very open about the transformative bits of your story, which also include sorrow and tragedy and all of it. And how does that story, how did that marry with the QVC as far as like, did you feel hindered in sharing those bits of yourself or I, I guess what I'm trying to say in not a very good way is it seems scary to me to step onto that stage and then fully embody who you are because that stage seems like for the most part, it's full of masks because you ha kind of have to wear masks. Yes and no, because it's because funnily enough, when you are doing thousands of live hours, the masks quickly drop. I think it, you can really you when you watch something such as QVC, anything like that, when you're seeing hosts that are on air for like two, three hours at a time, engaging with lots and lots of different personalities and guests, you you get to see how they handle difficult moments. You get to see mm -hmm. when they're having a bad day. You do it. So so I, I get what you're saying. We get to put all the shiny stuff on our faces. But I think it's quite exposed in that mm -hmm. regard as well. But but obviously you can you can share what you choose to or not. And it it's always about being appropriate. I would say for me, I, I've also had a life as a singer-songwriter before I went into television. And one of the very first songs that I wrote for the first album that I recorded, which was called Treasure in My Backyard, the, the, the lyrics of the chorus go like this. go, I found treasure in my own backyard. I was sitting doing nothing and it hit me really hard. I never need to dig on someone else's land. I've got all I need right here in my left hand. And it's left hand because I'm left-handed. And it was, and those lyrics came from a realisation in my 20s. Would I have been 20? Might even have been my early 30s. So I'd come from a childhood which was highly controlled, where my 
father had really extreme fundamental beliefs that were just ridiculous. We were told that we didn't have a future. We were told that the, the world would come to an end by the time we were 20. We were not allowed to consider a career. We were not allowed to have dreams. You know, the, the concept of ever becoming a parent myself was just inconceivable because I wouldn't need to think about it. You weren't allowed to have feelings. If anything ever upset you, you, you were told to snap out of it. You were, you, you know, there's just huge amounts yeah. of things. And I was one of four. And there was, not only was there a lot of incredibly false teaching and and I would probably go, well, I would go as far as saying brainwashing, but, you know, we've all got our own opinions on those those kinds of things. But it's your um, story, so you can come It's mine, that. yes, I suppose. Um, there was also a lot of violence in the house. There was a huge amount of mental abuse in the house. And, and by the age of 10, I was mother to my siblings. And I was having to fill the gaps that my mum wasn't able to because she was already quite destroyed. And it wasn't until I was about, I think I was 11 or 12, somebody said to me, you need to start being a child. And I remember being so very offended by that. <laughs> and then it was a ridiculous comment to say to someone from such a broken family. Yeah. And, then, and then a little bit later on along the line, I, I was part of a church community where we were the problem family. Mm. Um, you know, and I would see people crossing the road at a distance when they'd clocked us coming in a direction or they'd like leave because we'd arrived or, you know, it was, it was different. My dad was incredibly opinionated and bombastic and people knew what was going on behind closed doors. People didn't know how to deal with it. People that tried to deal with it very quickly had doors slammed in their faces and got very hurt. So it's not like people didn't try. People did, but they, but when you're when you're meeting a forceful person who is very powerful in their thoughts and their beliefs, it is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. So for me, I am I am getting to your point. Don't worry. So for no, me, I like I keep going. There's no <laughs> there's no editing here. <laughs> that whole process of going through my younger years and then my teenage years, and I was only ever accepted when I dressed the correct way you know I'm actually I'm a very creative person and so when I when I would start to feel good about myself or life I would suddenly break out the crazy leggings and the Dr Martens and the three earrings and all that kind of stuff and that's when I would find myself being happy but then all of a sudden that's when I would be beaten back into line and I would have to go and put on the skirts and the raincoats and look all very prim and proper so I had this constant battle mm. and I think that's partly why I do actually really enjoy fashion because I found my freedom partly in fashion because I was learning that I could express myself and find myself in these little nuggets these little moments of when I played because yeah. I hadn't got any other freedom anywhere else I had no freedom at home I had no freedom within a, a safe family environment ever I went into care in my mid-teens for a period of time time you know in the first family that I was put into hadn't even been regulated back then it was the 80s uh, they were raging alcoholics they were parents of a friend of the family I say friend loosely um, and I would lie in bed with three pillows over my head at night crying I was so frightened because the the wife would scream at her husband and throw things because she would be so drunk it was horrible and then I moved again to another family which was a much more positive experience so so having kind of grown up through a lot of trauma a lot of control a lot of trying to figure out who I was and a lot of trying to to just I got to that point so I left home as soon as I could when I was mm. 17 and then I had a good 
And that's when I met, I met you when I was, I think, 24, 24, 25, something like that. So then I had a good 10 years, I would say, of kind of unpicking, unpicking yeah. the tapestry, pulling everything apart. And I, I had to leave England and we met in Amsterdam. The reason I chose to come to Amsterdam is that the control and the influence was so heavy that, that actually leaving home wasn't enough. And I'd, I realised that after about three years of leaving home, I was like, I, I have to go further. Yeah. And that's where I looked to go overseas and actually join a community where I could just just be me and find out who that me person was. And that took me a very long time. So then when I fast forward to when I got the TV gig, in fact, even before then, the radio gig. The radio gig, I was still very fragile. I was still learning. But actually, the TV bit came in just after I'd written that album mm. and I'd written those words. When, and I had sat outside uh, in our house in London. We had a tiny little garden. And I just had this eureka moment of going, I can stop trying to be like other people now. It's like I had spent my whole life looking to other people, okay, well, their life seems to be working, so therefore I need to do it like they do. And then it would feel all wrong and incongruent and just, so then I would move on to someone else, okay, their life, and maybe I need to be like them or maybe, and because we moved house so much, so every time my dad got confronted, we moved house. So I moved mm -hmm. house more than 10 times before I was oh. like 15. So, you know, there was never any stability. We were just, I, I was like, a, I was a person bobbing around at sea. But when I had this realisation that actually I count and I matter, and I'm okay, and I'm enough, and I've got all I need. I just need to let it blossom and grow. Mm. It's like I suddenly created this, this space around myself to expand, to breathe, to be, to feel. You know, I was, I'd for so many years tried to do everything the right way and do as I was told. And I was constantly miserable. And I, I was, I battled eating disorders for 10 years. You know, I had some really horribly abusive relationships, some horrible things happened. And one day my body just stopped eating. It was never, I was always skinny. It's not like I wanted to lose weight, but one, it was an absolute textbook trauma response. My body went, no, there's no control in my life. Therefore, I'm taking control of the one thing I can and it's food. And I stopped, I stopped being able to swallow. And oh. then, and that, that started a 10-year battle with eating disorders, which I was still battling when I met you. I and had I an eating disorder when I met you. <laughs> there you go. But it is the one of the most, it's one the of the control. most secretive of things, isn't mm. it, of mental disorders? Yeah, I was so. trying to come out of it when I moved to Amsterdam and then it took, you know, all, after Amsterdam, I moved to South Africa, and I was much better in South Africa. And um, but it took a long time because it is the one thing that you can control is food, and but you have to eat to survive. So it kind of feels like a punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, food it's, becomes it's this riddled. Yeah. Oh, it's a monster it, and it's, it eats yeah. away at your brain. It's awful. Yeah. So through all that, when the, when the television thing came along, I think the timing was so right because I was, I discovered that I had everything. I hadn't learned it, not by any stretch of the imagination. I still didn't know who I was. But actually to work in an environment 
So I was quite lucky in as much as I'd already done loads of radio. And actually, I, I've been on stage since I was about four. I'm a, I'm a natural performer. It's just, it's something that I love. I love being on stage. I love communicating with people. I, I've just always loved that. No matter what's gone on in my life, I've always been the one that's gone, yeah, I'll take that role. I'll, I'll be on stage. Yeah, that's me. Thank you very much. And and I think in many ways, that was a survival technique at first. Yeah. But it, it's very much part of my DNA. So when TV came along and I just took to it like a duck takes to water very quickly I would walk in the building and people would go oh yes it's you oh it's so good to see you and I'd never had that in my life wow and to suddenly be in an environment where I was appreciated mm. and valued and you know and also without wanting to sound too cheesy it it becomes a family when you work yeah. long hours with people <clears throat> and things like that especially you know I've done it now for over 20 years you know you, you go through a lot together we've all yeah. gone through having babies divorces deaths illnesses breast cancer you know, all kinds of things we've yeah. walked these journeys together so I would say that actually television for me both my colleagues and also many of the viewers because they are very very loyal mm have walked that journey and and it's funny I know we you want to talk about community at some st stage today I think you know that community started back in those early early days mm. and I think when social media came along it wasn't so much a shock to the system it was it was an extension of what I already knew yeah. from having letters and so forth from because you're also getting viewers. phone calls right with QVC yeah so you're talking yeah. to people mm. And also, if you think of radio, BBC Radio, you know, a radio show is very interactive. You have loads of phone calls in yeah. every hour of the show. So, yeah. yeah, totally. So that has all become very much part of my journey to wholeness through every aspect of my life. If I look back on it now, it's it's quite interesting to see how it's worked itself out. Yeah, there is a there were two thoughts that I had in your story. One, the thing that the person said about, you know, just be a child. And I, you know, we've talked about this and I've talked about this on this podcast of being somebody that raised, also that raised my siblings. To be a child when you are raising other children, or even possibly if you're not, but that's not the okay thing to be, makes you a target and makes you vulnerable. Well, I think for me, what it did is the expectation of you being that miniature grown up means you're you have to manage your emotions. Mm. So prematurely, you are put in a situation where you can't react as a child would. You can't throw your toys out of the pram. You can't have a meltdown. You can't be upset. You can't be hurt. You've got to hold yourself together for everyone else. So you become vulnerable later in life because you've never learned those emotions. You haven't learned how to process your anger, your fear, your sadness, yeah. all those things. Yeah, and even happiness. Yeah. You know, all, all those What's different happiness? things. You don't, you don't know what to do with them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's such a foreign thing. Yeah. You don't know what to do with them. And and that doesn't come overnight. No, and the thing, the thing about it, it's like repressed memories protect you yeah. and then you know, and then there's a whiplash from realizing that protection is now a hindrance to feeling anything and being in your body. It's yeah. the same, like, I, there's this movie called Winter's Bone, and it's set in, um, like, Appalachia, and it's a story of this girl 
whose parents, the dad's gone missing, and it's all like backwoods, scary stuff. She encounters all these really intense people, and the county's trying to take her younger brother and sibling, her younger brother and sister away, and the mom is dying. All this stuff is happening. And the sister, the oldest sister, has to find the dad's body in order to appease these people that are coming after her. It's a crazy story. It's very good. Hard to watch. But there's this moment at the end where she's sitting on the porch and she's with her little brother and sister. And the brother says something like, you saved us. Mm -hmm. And she looks at him and she says, no, you saved me. Yeah. Oh, Because if I would not have had you. And in that moment, I went, yes, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody to feel that responsibility, to feel that pressure to lose their childhood like we did. Yeah. But raising my brother and sister probably protected me from ending my life. Yeah. Because I uh, yeah, had... Yeah, it gives you a purpose. I had. I was the only thing standing between them and total chaos, I felt. Mm. Yeah. And yes, not a great, <laughs> not a great scenario. Again, no child should have to do that. And at the same time, it's also like this weird thing that we experience in so many ways as people that have lived through trauma. Nothing is wasted. Oh, no. There's like, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. No. But still some kind of beauty or like what your song says, there is treasure there. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't want to go back there. No. (laughs) Never in a million years. The other thing that I thought about, you said about fashion, and I think fashion, even within the church, the restrictive church environment, fashion is, and it's, I think things have changed, but fashion has been kind of the only acceptable way that women have been able to show their creativity. Mm. I mean, yes, there's painting. I'm I'm not saying the only way it's like, I always like, let me pierce something. Let me shave my head. And my parents were not, I mean, one of the biggest fights my dad ever had with my older sister was we got to go be models for this hair salon that was really cutting edge in the eighties. We were cool. so excited. <laughs> and if you... If you agreed to be their model, they could try any hairstyle on you. Amazing. And so my sister ended up with an Annie Lennox, you know, the red. Oh, could you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she gets up the next morning and is leaving for school. And my dad went fucking ballistic. Yeah, I imagine. And. <laughs> The funny thing was, my parents knew we were going to this place. We were models. We had agreed to let them do whatever they wanted to our hair. There was no secret. (laughs) And they got into a fight where they're screaming at each other. And I'm, I'm, I was always more of the peacemaker, but I would get in for protection. I would get in my parents' face if I needed to. But my dad literally picked my sister up and was trying to carry her back in the house. And as a parent, I'm looking at it and going, what is that going to solve? Uh, Her hair yeah. can't really go shorter. 
Yeah. Unless you're going to shave it all off. Yeah. But just like all of these like ways that women have not been able to fully express themselves creatively, but they can a little bit with clothing or jewelry or makeup or. Yeah. As long as it doesn't offend anyone. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you're right, there is, but it still has those invisible lines. The, oh, sure. you, the minute you cross it, you, the eyebrows are raised. Oh, yeah. she's going down that path. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you yes. just think, oh, come on, people. Yeah, and it's it, just clothing. I used mm, to, yeah. in junior high, I got really into new wave. Right, yeah. And I had to walk to school, and I would bring my eyeliner, and I would <laughs> draw from, I'd draw like a, what do you, what do you call that? You would know where you take the eyeliner. Oh, like the cat's eye. Yeah, cat's eye, yeah. and then do a yeah. spider web. Oh, cool! It was not cool. I would kill to have a picture of it though, and then <laughs> yeah, I would I wash it off before I got home. But you see, for me, it's like kids have to be allowed to do that. What is, because what's the big deal? It, it's experimenting. It's playing. It's expressing yourself. I think yeah. it's so important to allow kids to do that. Even adults, if they want to, you whatever, yeah. whatever age. We, it's our body. It's our space. And I think, like for both my kids, I'm like, whenever they say they want to do something, I don't necessarily always like with my daughter and piercings. I've allowed her to have since she turned 14 one different piercing a year. So rather than her just doing ears, her eyebrows, lips. nose, everything all in one. Yeah. <laughs> No, she's she's on her second year now. That's if we're still what going. What have you got oh, so far? Oh, actually, no, she's got. Oh, no, yeah, she's on. Yeah, just two sets of earrings on either side, and belly button is this summer. But obviously, everything's all been locked down, so that's the next one. So, so I didn't want her to go jumping with both feet because I'm like, okay, we'll do this, but I want you to be a bit measured about whether or not you actually yeah. want to do it or not, as opposed to going, yeah, let's just go for it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I could never be someone that goes no you can't do that you can't do that you can't do that to the extent that they're so restricted and held back so then they just break and then they just rebel and they never find themselves the ones that don't rebel shut down yeah builds up until they're our age and they don't know who they are they don't know how to express themselves they're locked in their bodies yeah trying to get out yeah, so important. It's funny when we, so I, um, I'm i divorced and I'm remarried. And so when I got remarried, my husband now, when we, so Miles and Beely, my two children were, I guess, seven and eight, eight, nine when we got together. And I, <laughs> through these last few years, he's, he's, he's done amazingly and he's so much more patient. But when we first got together, he used to say to me on the quiet, he's like, you give them so much rope. And I'm like, but, but, but they don't harm themselves. I'm like, they, they are, they learn all their boundaries. And now aged 15 and 16, they are emotionally articulate. They are the most fabulous people to hang out with. They're balanced. They're not perfect. I wouldn't want them to be perfect, but, but they know who they are. They absolutely know who they are. And I think for me as a parent, going into parenting the thing that I wanted most was them to know that I love them regardless that is just absolutely non-negotiable I will love them with my whole heart until I die and beyond for who they are not for who I want them to be not for who society tells them they should be for who they are and how can I do that if I can't allow them to express themselves and find who they are yeah. And it's a great journey. Oh, my word, what a privilege. What well, a privilege. Thing, what a joy. The thing about that, too, which I have found now that Zion is 21, 
when he moved into when he moved to LA, he had a few, you know, traumatic experiences. And the thing that I learned is the the proof is in the pudding that we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. That rope that you're giving that. them, that ability to challenge your parenting and to talk yeah. it through. Like my dad and mom would I couldn't challenge anything. If I challenged, it was, this is the law. It's our way. Yeah. And I want to teach them how to have a conversation, have an argument. Yeah. You know, we would say, okay, if you don't think this is the way it should be, then you need to negotiate. We taught our kids how to negotiate with teachers, with ourselves. But the beautiful thing is watching, you know, because now Zion is far away, he will call us. And he will tell us if something bad has happened. Yeah. And he will ask and he for will, help. And he will feel confident to negotiate his way through all these different scenarios. Yeah. Other th- rather than going, oh, what am I allowed to do? He'll figure it out. There also, he's not a no failure if he didn't, yeah. if it didn't go exactly of as planned. Of course not. Absolutely right. No, I love it. It's funny, the whole allowing them to thrash things out with you and with each other, I d- one of my worst parenting moments, but at the same time, one of my finest parenting moments in as much as it makes me laugh so much. Last year, I took Miles and Beely for a walk. And and one of them went for the other. They She, she I've given it away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Be- Beely, basically, she just, as we were walking along and just talking about this, that and the other, suddenly something that had been bugging her for a while came out about how Miles had been talking to her about something. And they started to thrash it through and they and I just stepped back and I let mm-hmm. them do it. And it got quite feisty. And then one really swore at the other and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> I, and they both stopped. And I, I know it wasn't my finest moment. I get that. <laughs> and they were so confused. And they were like, what? What's what's wrong? Like, you know, because most parents would go, don't you say that word? Yeah. But I, I was so overcome with joy at the fact that they felt free enough to tussle it through yeah. to the end i was i was just beyond myself because i was never allowed to, to oh, like no. you say question have feelings contrary to what's acceptable and there i could see my children really properly pissed off with each other telling each other so and figuring it out and getting to the other side i'm like hooray well and you taught them how to do that because one of the things that we noticed is if todd and i would have a fight and then you know one of the kids would come up and they'd be nervous and you know todd todd was really smart he would say we are arguing do you argue with your brother or your sister yes do we let you work it out yes do you always work it out yes we need the same space to work it out and we will work it out. We know it makes you nervous. You know, we're going to try not to shout at each other, but we have got to be able to do what you guys do too. And so we taught them that there would be an end to the fight. They could see, cause Todd had said he never got to see the end, the resolution. Yeah. And he needed to see that you could have an end to a fight or see them actually fighting to go, okay, there's a completion. They love each other. What happened in the middle? Yeah. And then what happens at the end? So they can learn how to bring it to a closure. Yeah. Yeah, we got to see that. And I think Mm. I get why people are afraid because if you had 
you know, violent parents or parents that were super loud and shouty and you didn't know what was happening. Yeah. It's hard. And so you can put rules around it, but I think it's... Yeah, and there are definitely some subject matters that younger children don't yes. need to be listening to. No. But at the same time, to shield them from all disagreements, I don't think does them any favours. No, no. So I'm going to segue. Okay. I did want to talk, because your community, because when I asked you this question, you were like, community? Your community (laughs) is a very unique community that most of us don't have. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. I am... I am very much a community person. I love being around people that I love. I'm a real people person. I'm an ex- I'm an extrovert, but I have really well developed my introvert side. I thoroughly enjoy peace now and my own my own company as much as I enjoy being around other people, but my my makeup is that of an extrovert. I love being around people. I get a lot of energy and fulfillment from bringing people together, being around lots of people. So we left London when the children were small. So being in London, you're part of a very transient community because it's a large cosmopolitan city, you know, and with any body, you know, church or otherwise, people come and people go. So that was very much part of my life for a good 20 years. And where we are, where we live now, we've been here for about seven years. And actually, I've been for for about five of those years We've been going to a church up here, which I quickly got (laughs) very involved in, as I can't help myself because I'm like the ideas machine on overdrive all the time. Um, So, yeah, so so we were very involved in church for a while. But actually, as of last year, having had my mum live with us for a year and I was still doing everything church wise and I still work down in London and I've got my kids and stepkids and all that kind of it was just it was a lot. And I was spinning a lot of plates and I got to the end of last year and, and we'd rehomed mum somewhere close to us, but we're still obviously looking after her. And I, I, I went to my pastor and I'm like, I, I need to I need to lay things down because I'm exhausted. And now that my mum's left our home as a family, we need to reconnect. Yeah. And so I just need to put some things down. And he's like, he's like, well, are there some things we can do for you? And I'm like, well, unless you can do my job. I need to do the family thing. So I need to. And so, and actually it wasn't an easy, firstly, it wasn't an easy decision on my behalf, but equally sometimes people love it if they've got someone around who's happy to bring ideas to the table and put the wind in the sails and make things happen. They don't like that person to go, I'm not going to do this now. So I think it's been quite difficult for some people. And we really have over the last... I would say six to eight months stepped right back from everything. Obviously, still very much friendly with those that we are friendly with. But when it comes to community, and then of course, along comes coronavirus, and we're suddenly not seeing each other at all. But then I have this ready made community already digitally through Mm -hmm. social media, having had, you know, having had that build for the last more than a decade. But the other thing that I've really enjoyed recently is reconnecting with some old friends and and kind of refinding and reconnecting with my tribe. I know that's a really it's a real buzzword right now, but actually with life's a funny old thing as you go through those different your 20s, your 30s, you have children, they're in what we call primary school. 
you know, you're you're in you're in with your, your, the mums and the dads, and you have your school run friends, and then that community when they go on to high school, that community often just dissolves. It's, and we live in quite a rural community. It's not like everybody's all living in the same town and and stuff. Everyone's quite well spread out where we are these days. In we're just outside Stratford upon Avon in the Midlands. So when the children started to get well, started going to high school, that those daily interactions just suddenly disappeared and and actually and that was around the time that I got remarried and getting remarried isn't easy so we had this (laughs) well and you're also blending families totally so we had loads of things going on it was a really difficult time and I you know and I just got very busy with all those things and actually community is something that we haven't fully engaged with of late other than being busy with the church We've just been keeping our heads above water, you know, running family, looking after mum, all those kinds of things. So it is. I mean, I think that's interesting in the sense that we even define community as outside of ourselves. Yeah. But. Yeah, my see the family, I would say, are close knit, just us. We are a very tight community. Myself, Brian, my husband and my two children, his sons aren't with us all the time. But us four, my two and Brian and I just, I just did a post about my daughter this afternoon. It's not a redhead day. Yeah, world redhead day. So I've got to do a tribute for her. And she's just like, it's like one of my favorite people to hang out with. I just, I adore my kids. So, you know, to be honest, if everyone, if if the whole world, if we had to stay in lockdown forever and ever, I know it's a horrible scenario and there are many downsides. I'm happy with the company I have. I'm very fortunate. Which very fortunate. You couldn't always say that. So that's. No, which is why I'm constantly aware of wanting to get kids to go back to school because I know what it's like to grow up in an abusive home. And I worry for children that are locked behind doors. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I I was thinking about is not just your community in your home and your family. So I would like you to talk about that too, but maybe your online community, because you are actively engaging with people. You're not just posting stuff and then not responding. You talk to people that ask you questions. Yeah, I always respond. Yeah, so how... How has you, what have you seen both, maybe both positive and negative that's shifted and changed for your family in this time and then maybe for your online community? I think, again, family-wise, we have been really lucky. My husband works from home already, so he hasn't had a major change in his lifestyle, although he is a raging introvert, so he does feel invaded. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit tough. Yeah. Uh, so then there's my son who is 16. So he was of the year group. We have GCSEs over here. So he, I don't know what the equivalent is for you guys at 16. We don't really have a, an equivalent until they graduate from high school. And they take okay. the, or their senior year, they take, they take the, I forgot what it's called. They take a test to get into college. <laughs> So it's that kind of level. So you can you can stay on at school to do your higher exams or you can leave and go to college. So it's still quite a pivotal rite of passage to do your GCSEs because they're kind of like the ticket onto the next phase. So he's had all that cancelled, but he was really lucky because he he had a Saturday job in the local butcher who has stayed open all the way through lockdown because we are a a quite rural community. So we have one supermarket and the butcher. So there's just been 
Yeah, there's been a couple of little food places that have remained open and the butcher is one of them. Um, and so he's been pretty much working full time, which is amazing because he's had no school to keep because yeah. the, can- the exams were cancelled. There was no schoolwork or anything coming. He would have just been, you know, I would have had a daily battle of how much screen time he's like on his PC. Uh, I was like dreading it. So that's worked beautifully. Then my daughter. Plus he has a purpose. Which feels oh, good absolutely, time. and he's going to be starting to learn driving in a few months. Yeah. So he's now being able to save for a car, nice. you know. And he goes and delivers to people that can't leave their homes, and he drops off, you know, lamb chops and so sausages. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's really good, and he's learning lots too. So, yeah. you know, he gets really excited when he learns how to take a transaction or when he's taken a phone order. It's like, Mama did my first order today. You know, it's great. He's yeah. growing up massively, and actually, I think it's done him the world of good because he's not your cookie cut child at all I shouldn't really call him a child or young man anymore you know we had an autism diagnosis with him a number of years ago he hasn't been completely he does he's not far along in the spectrum but enough that he had hurdles to deal with that he's learned to manage over the years and exams have always been a very stressful thing for him to be part of you being in a silent room he'll hear people's pencils and all those kinds of things are so much more exaggerated it it creates a huge amount more stress to handle he'd have dealt with it he would have handled it because he's done very well at learning to manage these things but the fact that he hasn't had to and he can come out of the school system, which he really has not enjoyed yeah. and enjoy a little bit of freedom to then go back in September. I think he'll go back a, a really, you know, a much more mature young oh, man. So it's done, it's, experience. Yeah, yeah, it's done him the world of good. Um, so then there's my daughter, who's 15 and like me, is an absolute extrovert, loves being around people, loves loads of noise, loves listening to music, <laughs> you know, so... For her, it's been the hardest yeah. because she has not been able to, she goes to a, another school, which is at a, a town further away, which has a much larger catchment area. So the majority of her friends are 30, 40 miles away. So you can't even bump into them walking down the street yeah. or you know, stand outside a window and have a conversation. So she's had to rely on using Snapchat and various other school forums in order to yeah. talk to her friends but really it's never the same no. so she's been my little shadow really we've I've tried to do as much as I've been able to do with her whilst also balancing work for myself and looking after my mom and driving up and down to London and that kind of stuff so it's been I think it's been the hardest on her she has good days and she has bad days she's she's brilliant in as much as she's developed her own she's trialed different ways of making it work so when she found herself going slipping down the hill and feeling rubbish she would go right how am I going to stop she tried baking for a bit and then she got bored with that and we were all saying our jeans were too tight um and and she tried list making and then she tried a routine of this and then we tried turning that on its head and then she put a tent in the garden so she had a different place to go to so you know she's done lots of different things that worked really well actually so it's not easy but she's tried her best to keep on top of it so yeah that's kind of how we do because I hadn't thought about that until you were talking about Beely I think and I am not somebody that's trying to find the positive of this Right. I don't think people should have to there's that that thing that people slide into where they have to turn something into a positive and I think yeah. we can just let it be shitty yeah. let it be and that's it okay yeah and it's different for everybody yes but one of the things that I had not realized until you talked about that is what it is teaching or potentially could be teaching 
this generation that maybe our generation didn't really learn in the same way, but we had different things. Like we didn't have screens like they have, you know, most people had to go out and get jobs, you know, even if, I mean, I got a job, I had a job before I was legally allowed to have a job. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I worked on a pig farm when I was 10. Oh, I looked wonderful. Up, I looked after the farmer's newborn baby. Oh, for, for like 50p a day or something ridiculous. And I worked the whole summer holidays to get myself a tape recorder so I could listen to music. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's teaching them. And yes, there are so many layers to this that are traumatic for so many kids. So we've already said, like, yes, I want this to be over because there are people in horrible situations living with unsafe yeah. people. Yeah. So my thoughts about that do not shift. As well as having thoughts about that, I can also see it is teaching different ways of self self-soothing that mm -hmm. maybe they didn't have. Yeah. Like Beely's like expressing her creativity and when that doesn't work, she's like, okay, maybe there's no judgment. I'm tired of baking. Now I'm going to try this and I'm going to yeah. try this. And so, and that's being a human in the world is having to like think on your feet and try a different mode of self soothing or this therapist doesn't feel right to me. I'm going to try a different therapist. If you have the privilege to go to a therapist and if you don't, I'm going to try this thing online. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to try this. It's teaching potentially it's teaching them that they don't have to give up after one try. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I've seen that with Billy over and over and over again. And it's, and I've been really impressed at actually how, how determined she's been with that. She, she's just, she's kept on going. And then she'll revisit things that didn't work two weeks ago. She'll try it again. So, yeah. it, you know, and that's got nothing to do with me. That wasn't, that hasn't been my suggestion to her at all. It's been an absolute determination to, mm. to make it work. And I think resilience and yeah. finding those tools that help us develop that resilience has been massively important yeah. over this time massively important because no matter what your personality type who you are everyone has difficulties right now yeah. one shape or another yeah oh definitely so that that's a good segue into what i would like to kind of just double speak <laughs> segue and transition into <laughs> is one did you have a self-care or and or spiritual practice that you did before and if you had that has that changed at all basically I think you've heard me talk about like I have a list of things that I do mm. And during the quarantine, it's felt like some days I've had to throw everything. Maybe I would split it up during the week. Like some mornings I would do mindfulness and some mornings I would do a lead meditation. And sometimes I would do silence and solitude and or I'd go on a walk. And I have all of these things that I do to enhance my emotional well-being while also helping me contain my <laughs> myself. Yeah. Yeah. And some days I have to try all of those things. So I'm curious, like, 
Have you seen a shift in yourself from what you were doing and now what you're doing? Or have you were you not doing anything and now you're doing something or vice versa? Right. So my I would say my life it's funny because I have continued working all the way through. Yeah. So I have not had to deal with being locked in my house. I've still been driving up and down to London two, three, four times a week at times, mainly two for me. Uh, I still have my mum who I have to buy. She's disabled. She's half paralyzed. She can't, she can't possibly get to shops or anything like that. So I am as one of her carers responsible to make sure she has food. So I'm still in and out doing things like that for her. I have my favorite people around me all the time. It's not like you and you're, you know, not all of your family's under one roof and that can feel really stressful. So actually we can all hunker down together. And Mm -hmm. just yesterday we went for a beautiful walk together and it was, it was just lovely, you know, and we've had movie nights and we've done dinner parties and we've played games, you know, we've done lots of things together. So in many ways, my life, style my life pattern has stayed the same because I've still had to do a lot of the things that I would ordinarily do and and in that process I would say for me a spiritual practice an absolute given for me for a reset is always walking in the woods Mm. I hate not being able to be around trees yeah there's something for me and trees and woods and a forest and just I'm really lucky that I have a horse. So one of the things that has always been really good for me is just putting the world behind me. Beautiful, Beth. Just go out and obviously not during lockdown. There was a time that we weren't allowed to do that. We are now. But but things like that for me being with nature is a really, that's a very easy reset. Mm. I don't have to do anything. I can, and I literally step outside my house and there's a field and I can just walk and walk and walk. So you know, and, and sometimes it's busy and I don't do that. But but for me, that is a very important mm-hmm. reconnect. And another important reconnect for me is playing the piano. Yeah. So just getting lost in playing the piano. When I'm when I'm really stressed about something, if something's bothering me or if I've had if I've had a disagreement with Brian or an argument and we haven't made it out the other side yet, sometimes, you know, whether it's going to ride the horse or going and playing the piano, it's almost like it shuts off that thing that's making all its noise in my head. Mm. And I go away somewhere where I can just reconnect with everything that balances me out. And we always talk about the back office and it's like that thing goes to the back office and it starts to shunt itself around. Yep. And then when you're, when you're ready to go back to it, it seems to have filed itself a little bit better mm. and it doesn't look so chaotic and you can deal with it in a much more level-headed way. So I would say piano playing and walking and my third one because I have so my round trip to London is just under 200 miles so I I have a pretty long pretty much between a four and a five hour drive. I have drive. been on your freeways there's a yeah. lot of traffic. There's a, yeah although it's been blissful during lockdown because there hasn't been a lot of traffic but genuinely I'm in the car for at least four hours in each day that I work four to five hours and so that is a really fab depending on how I feel it could be that I listen to a podcast it could be that I play music at top volume and sing my heart out. Just the other day, I had a Lady Gaga song from A Star Is Born, literally the whole way from here to London, (laughs) on repeat. And I just sang and sang and cried and Mm -hmm. sang and cried. And I just needed that release. And for me, the car on a motorway, no one can hear you. No one can really see you. It's that wonder, it's a blissful place Mm -hmm. of, of mine. And it's just me space. So... 
So all those things have continued. But what I would say is during this time, whilst none of that busyness has changed, I have been profoundly affected by the by the noiselessness of the world around me. Mm. And and somehow I have found time because of that. And I have started to read like I haven't read in years. Mm-hmm. And I've sat in the garden. We have beautiful weather at the moment in England. Yes. It's, it's, we've been really fortunate. This, the whole time has been gorgeous, pretty much. So I've been, I've been sitting. I've been lying in my hammock. I've been reading. And I've really, I possibly think for the first time in my life, seen the value in stopping. Mm. And I've never seen that. I am Thanks. seven. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've gone through the... And you did example. figure it out. Yeah, I did. I'm, I've got so much three and eight, but I am yeah. seven. Well, the That's whole time you were talking today, I'm like... Three, I, I was like, I think she's a seven, but you do have a lot of three tendencies. And some of that could just be the field of work that you've been in. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Navigating mm-hmm. that. But yes, I'm married to a seven. And that for... So we, you and I, are the lover's archetype. Oh, how about that? Because that's what Richard Rohr told Todd and I when we met him. Oh, did you? Oh, he was like, that was amazing. I was with all these people. We were getting a book signed. And <laughs> I happened to be with quite a few sevens. <laughs> and I'm bending down to have Richard sign my book. And he's like, are you guys all sevens? You are. I love sevens. Sevens are so amazing. <laughs> and I'm like. Richard, <laughs> I am a two. <laughs> give me, give me some love. <laughs> and he he's goes, a two, isn't he? Or is a he a one. seven? He's a one. Okay. And he he looks at Todd and I said, "Yeah, we're married." He's my husband, and he goes, "Oh, you're the lover's archetype." And he goes, "What? I mean, I don't mean sexually." And I just looked at him and I go, "Well, we are married." <laughs> <laughs> so what does he mean by that then? Well, what I've I'm sure he has a way more, you know, a way better way to explain it than I'm going to explain it because he didn't explain it to me. All I can, all I can gather doing, you know, the work that I've done around the Enneagram is that we understand each other. So I, for some reason, whatever is in the two is similar in the seven. And so I can empathize with Todd and he can empathize with my need to be loved and to be seen. And I can empathize with him. There's just so many connecting points with sevens. Plus I, most of my friends are sevens. They've got all that, you know, they've got the energy they'll go with me. Yeah. But it's interesting because Zion is a four and I go to a four in integration. So in health, I go to Zion. So I, I feel very lucky because I get it. I get his neuroses. I get his, I, I can see where he's coming from because I have mm-hmm. that. And then in disintegration or stress, I go to Brennan and eight. Oh, interesting. So I can, and my sister's an eight. So I can also see her side of things, the way yeah. she sees the world. I, and I just feel really grateful because that's just, it's just how it played out in our family. And it's helped me kind of be able to empathize with my children. But you and I are the lover's archetype if you're a seven. 
So the um, I have only stumbled on the Enneagram, I think, in the last year. So I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. But it, to me, feels like one of the more complete... I know it's ancient, but yeah. it's a it's a very helpful tool for for yeah. understanding yourself and your motivations, and you know, and where you go in times of positivity or growth yeah. versus not. I I find it it's fascinating. Yeah, I I think I am resistant to personality tests, but this one feels more fluid. Like you, the goal of the enneagram, if there is a goal, is you're supposed to look like all of the types. Yeah. And it's growth, isn't it? It talks a lot. And the thing is, for me, with a lot of personality types is that it's almost like you get a lid put on you, you're restricted. And you're like, well, sorry, this is who I am. You take me or leave me. And it becomes an excuse. I've seen people wear things as badges, you know, and and that's not helpful to anybody. But the Enneagram doesn't do that. Nope. Well, I'm excited for you. I have a stack of books that I can recommend. (laughs) (laughs) It's so (laughs) funny. I just tagged you in one today on Instagram that somebody. I saw that one. I don't well, know what I, it is. Oh, did you? Oh no, I saw, I'll have a look at it. But when I started lockdown, or when we started this, I, Brian, my husband, is an absolute bookworm. Being an introvert, he yeah. plows through books each year. Whereas I, I'm someone who gets, I feed off all kinds. I get very interested in lots of things. I have yeah. zillions of ideas, and I'll constantly go, "Oh, I need a book on that. I need a book," on that. and I'll buy these books, and I will literally thumb through it. Go right, got that, put it down, yeah. and oh, I. That's thought, what I'm married to. <laughs> there you go so I thought I'll go through my bookcase because Brian always says to me why don't you just get rid of a load of your books that you haven't read because it's surely it's just pouring guilt on you no it's a (laughs) it's a sea of knowledge I'm yet to tap into so I I pulled it It, actually I was surprised there was only 23 books that I hadn't read so I pulled them out in a pile but then I must have ordered about 10 books (laughs) because I've got time to think my brain I'm trying you know I'm like oh oh, I need to do this I need to research that and Yep. Sounds but like a saying second. that. Yeah, I'm tr- I am also loving the piece though. Yeah. So the books are the books are piling up. I will not race there. Well, I do want to say I want to honor your time and I am so grateful. And I I want to I think I want to bring you back on at another point cuz there's so many other things I want to ask you about like I want to hear about more about your story and also how you and Brian reconnected. Yeah. That's her that's husband. Great. So I'm excited yes. to hear that. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah, reco- yeah, reconnected because we were together at university. So he suggested that we got married back in our early, early 20s. And I, <laughs> at the time, ran a mile. But there we are. We got married in our 40s. Something. I love that. Written in the stars, right? Yep. There you go. <laughs> so I want to have you back on at some okay. point. Done deal. No problem. And I'm really grateful that you took your time. And also you used your equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope it works. Yeah. And I'll, is there anything you want to plug? Um, well, you can find me on social media. I'm Pippa Gordon, Pippa with one P. And the podcast is called Inside My Wardrobe. It's on all of the platforms. Um, we have a Facebook group page. You can join in there. And then the other podcast that you mentioned, which might or might not continue. I haven't decided yet, but it has at the moment. It's got five episodes on. It's just something that I did earlier in the year. It's just specifically for parenting. And we did an, a series on mental health. Uh, and that's the one that you were referring to earlier. That's called The Parenting Podcast. But my weekly podcast comes out on a Thursday and it's called Inside My Wardrobe. Okay. And so they can find you at Pippa Gordon 
on? Actually, pippagordon.co.uk has it all there for okay. you. Okay, wonderful. Just remember, it's Pippa with one P and Gordon as in the gin. <laughs> oh, I don't, do we have that? I don't know if we have that. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Oh, maybe, th- maybe that only works in England. Well, you'll, any, any British people listening will, will know what you're talking they will. about. They will. They will. <laughs> so remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. I love that so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.